Welcome, everyone. This is a Surge Network podcast on faith and work. I'm here with Warren Williams and Aaron Daly. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background? I'll go first since I uh, I have the professional mic. Just so everybody yeah. knows, just so everybody <laughs> knows, on the behind the scenes clip, they've been making fun of me for having a really good microphone. So if I sound better than everybody else, I just want you to know. I really am professional when it comes to podcasting. So I'll introduce myself. I know I'm Aaron Daly, and I get to pastor at a church called Redemption Alhambra. I also get to work with Surge Network. And the reason I love this conversation is I spent uh, most of my career, if you will, running a business, a painting company, and, um, and just really trying to overlap work and faith for, let's say, those who are not at top tier jobs and uh, spending a lot of time working with those who are, I call grunt laborers on how faith and work just spends, uh, how faith and work applies to their work also. Can you tell us just a little bit more about Redemption Alhambra, the kind of dynamics of your church? Absolutely. It's a, it's my church family and uh, it feels a lot like a family it's made up of all kinds of people. It's, it's highly diverse community. Um, I also lead alongside a brother of mine by the name of Wayne Winter. So he's an African-American brother. I'm a white dude. And so we have a diverse uh, co-leadership, lead pastoring team, uh, diverse all the way around. But it's in a uh, economically kind of impoverished neighborhood. And uh, God has really used us to to just see a family come together of all kinds of people. So great. How about you, Warren? Yeah, it's awesome. So I'm working with the, not so much of the the studio microphone, but we're <laughs> going to try to make it work today. Well, my name is Warren Williams. Um, I pastor at Redemption Tempe. I actually started pastoring in February. So you can imagine what the last couple of months have been like for me with the pandemic and everything going on. But um, I do love the conversation around um, work um, and how it inter, you know, interwove, inter, how it's interwoven with our faith. For me, I come from like an immigrant background. And so, um, you know, growing up, work was just something we did all the time. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I feel like in more recent years, I've really been making more of a discovery of like why my work matters, though. And so I feel like sort of in some ways new to the conversation or new, like I, I'm, I'm still learning every day why, um, you know, my work is so important. And um, yeah, you know, as, as I've uh, some of the things that I've just learned in this journey, um, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to talk about and share with other folks, especially um, who maybe view their work more so as like a means to an end, because a couple of years ago that if you asked me maybe what my work was, you know, that's what, what I, what I would have responded with. So yeah. Warren, can you can you tell everyone um, where you're from? Because I think yeah. that gives you a unique vantage point. Sure. And then also some of your previous work history before becoming a pastor. Absolutely. Um, so I'm from the Bronx, New York. Um, I moved to Arizona in 2014. Um, and my work history, I've mainly worked in transportation logistics. So in um, and like I say that and normally no one knows what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about like a uh, trucking operation. So um, similar to Aaron, I've worked with, you know, kind of the, the, the grunt, you know, of maybe the workforce, uh, maybe the people who are 
uh, a lot of times very overlooked, but do very important work in um, helping goods to be um, transported all throughout the country. So, um, yeah, that's that's where I've spent the majority of my work um, life is managing truck drivers and um, helping customers um, get shipments transported across the United States and internationally, too. Great. Thanks, Warren. Mm-hmm. And I think the two of you have great vantage points into this conversation. Today, we want to specifically press into how the pandemic has really brought about this conversation on faith and work, brought about new lenses for us, specifically in terms of how the faith and work conversation has left out um, like what you guys described. Oftentimes it's slated towards the white collar worker, maybe the creative, the people who have a lot of freedom in the work, maybe a lot of um, power and influence within their work. But how would you say that that this conversation has changed in the last, man, has it been six, seven, eight months? Um, how has it given us a new vantage point? You want to start, Warren, or you want me to, bro? Go ahead, Aaron. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll come in. The next one you get to start then. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a good question. I think one of the things that I, I have noticed, at least within the people that I've been connected with, is COVID has really made essential workers um, with that title have labor that they're doing, even though they don't want to, but now all of a sudden they're like coined essential Um, And then also being called in a lot of times like heroes, because in some ways they're putting their lives on the line to go uh, pack boxes or paint houses or deliver food. And none of their lives before that have they ever felt like heroes or essential. Mm -hmm. They've always felt kind of discarded. The other thing is um, they are not working with that same mentality, they a lot of times don't have a option but to go to work. Um, and a lot of people who are now able to stay in their homes um, and work from home have taken, you know, have had that ability. So now many of them are putting their lives on the line and it's increased the, um, let's say, the danger of their jobs but many times it's also not, they don't have another option. I don't know if that makes sense. So it's changed the, the titles of their jobs, like essential and heroic, but in many ways they don't have options. So it's like they're forced into those positions. I don't know if that. Yeah, no, that, that that's really interesting. And it's almost, it's, it's interesting how as a society now we have re- recognized like the jobs, which are always important. Um, but through this pandemic, now they're being brought, brought to the forefront and we're saying, wow, we are so grateful for doctors and nurses and medical professionals. And like, not even at that tier, we're so grateful for like delivery drivers yes. and, you know, these yes. folks who are doing that work um, in so many ways, you know, we maybe in, in the past, you know, we vaulted athletes and not to say that their work isn't important, but like we've you know, we, we saw uh, sports come to a close with the pandemic, you know what I mean? And and so um, in this time, I think we've, it's actually helped us to recognize the people in our society who are doing important work, um, who previously, like Aaron was mentioning, um, have been overlooked in a lot of ways. You know, we maybe didn't think twice about the person um, who was delivering DoorDash, but now they're like 
washing our feet by allowing us our families to like enjoy a meal together um, that we don't have to to cook for and sweat for. Um, and so they're just doing really important work and blessing so many folks um, during this season. So I think that's actually been a really cool aspect of um, of this season. And Aaron, I heard you say, so maybe some of these workers are being celebrated more, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily change the realities of they're not doing this work, you know, because they got, you know, 10 jobs lined up and they chose this and they wanted to be a hero. It's, it is also revealing this reality of they don't have a choice whether or not to put themselves at risk. They need to do this work in order to feed their families. Is that, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, that's, that's the case for most of them. I, I I know that we are now celebrating different work and I think that that's a cool kind of spin too. And it's true. I think we're noticing like we really do need them. Um, But on the other side of that, many of them, if they get sick, are not going to get uh, pay. They're not going to be cared for. They're not going to be treated as, let's say, heroes unless they're um, working those jobs. And so they feel a great pressure. You know, not many of those companies were making it available for them to be to get sick or even to work at home. So they, they didn't really have any other options. And so it's tough. And I think they have now really shown their work ethic and how they are willing to put their lives on the line. And a lot of them have still kept, I think, pretty good attitudes. And some of the people in our church, we've been able to walk through, you know, how important their jobs are and them seeing their jobs as important. It's helped us with some discipleship things, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's not as optional um, as we would hope it would be. And that actually, so in general, during this time, conversations surrounding unemployment benefits, lack of access to health care, all of these conversations have been thrust into the national stage in a new way because it's affecting so many more people, um, but they're not new challenges. So how has this season Um, revealed some challenges that poor communities and communities of color already face at a higher rate. Um, Typically, how have these conversations become more front and center and how can, how can the church keep the conversation going when uh, maybe the large majority of people aren't affected um, once things, you know, hopefully normalize? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really great question. And that has been one of the downsides of the pandemic. It really has showed the, the gaps in income and the gaps in just the uh, access to healthcare and the gaps in um, just the, the quality of life that um, you can, you can live through that you can experience experiencing during this um, season um, for, you know, the truth of the matter is that a lot of minorities, um, a lot of um, folks and, you know, minorities, they, they, they find, we find ourselves in the, Um, class of work where, you know, they don't have the option to work from home. Right. And that's huge in this season. Like, um, you know, when when, uh, you are maybe working a more white collar job and you're, you know, able to just hop on your computer and start your work day, a lot of folks in our communities do not have access to do that. And so um, one, they're putting themselves at risk. Um, One, uh, two, they're, uh, um, you know, when, when they do get sick or, you know, when they have or they, someone has to go to the hospital, they don't even have the, the resources to be able to, you know, 
access the proper benefits that they need to even um, uh, spend an extended amount of time in the hospital. And I've heard stories like that time and time again, where folks just, they wanted to go to the hospital, they just couldn't even afford it. And, you know, they've uh, like, you know, died because of COVID. So um, I think it's just, you're recognizing those sort of just differences and um, inequalities that are present in society. And um, when we have something like this that hits, it's just, it's really comes to the forefront. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, how a lot of what we experienced by being home and becoming more aware of those injustices, if you will, um, have taken center stage in many, in many ways, uh, COVID and the pandemic has kind of taken a backstage to political, um, and Mm -hmm. social problems. It's kind of, zoomed out as as we got into our homes and in front of our screens and maybe spent way more time in social networking and all kinds of things and then seeing all the injustices come to the forefront it it's it's caused a lot of tensions that i think are being exposed in different ways that have always been there but now they're just like on the forefront and people are very aware very very aware of it and can't really ignore it and that's that's kind of some of the tensions that I think the church plays into it. To the second part of your question, yeah. like how should the church speak into it? Um, I think some churches are struggling to speak into it because they're just now kind of entering the conversation. And when that is the case, you feel like you're you're just a learner and you're used to thinking you're the expert in everything. Um, and so I would encourage churches that are just now hearing of this or becoming aware of it to really take a humble posture as they enter into it. Because I see a lot of churches trying to enter in as like experts rather than as, um, learners, learners and yeah. trying to figure out yeah. what's actually mm-hmm. happening. And pastors are not used to taking a learning posture. And I think unless they take learning postures and humble, repentant attitudes of going, yeah, you know what? We have been ignoring these places and now they're at the forefront of society and they're trying to seek justification of going why they haven't been and they don't see it as important and they're trying to cover up their blind spots rather than, you know, admit them. And you'll see a lot of churches scrambling in this time who have not been involved, which just adds to the complication. So you can enter in humbly. And then for the churches that have been engaging in these areas, they've actually, um, in, in, in a lot of ways, have have just had more confirmation that they've been pressing into this Bases that they have and have really had opportunities. Like for us, it's this is season X actually been a lot of confirmation and saying, man, we've been talking about this for 18 years. This is not new. These things are there and people yeah. feel very more uh, equipped to navigate through seasons like this. So um, I think the church becomes vital for discipleship in times like this. Yeah. And Tina, I didn't answer your first, the second part of your question uh, when I first answered and I can actually tell the story of like why it's so important for our church communities to really have a diverse perspective, to be a diverse communities um, and um, not uh, to be aware of like, you know, just seeing things in a monolithic way. So when our, when the pandemic first started um, the idea we had around like how we were um, instructing or just kind of discipling people to um, live through the time was like, Oh, this is a spontaneous Sabbath. 
And that probably lasted for seven or maybe two weeks, maybe at max, until we looked around and said, you know what? This is not a Sabbath time for a lot of people. There are some people who are able to Sabbath. And this is a, you know, it was a great time when the pandemic, when, you know, quarantine was at its height and, you know, they were able to be with their family and work from home. But, you know, as you look around your community and people are losing jobs, people are, you know, struggling with child, trying to figure out childcare. People are struggling, you know, because, you know, they're, 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 way of making an income has been completely taken from them. You know, you look around and and we had to make that correction of like, okay, this isn't a spot. This, you know, maybe that spontaneous, spontaneous Sabbath period lasted for a week or so, but for a lot of people, you know, it wasn't even that, right. It was a time of like real uncertainty. um, And we had to really, um, you know, kind of reframe how we were even looking at the time once we, you know, were able to, 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 to kind of, remember that our church is made up of a lot of diverse people who are in a lot of different places financially. Mm. Gosh, that's so good guys. It, it sounds like it's a beautiful gift. If you have a diverse community, socioeconomically, um, ethnically that you can listen to and really press into those voices within your community. Um, but, but if that isn't the case as a pastor, or even just as, as a, you know, church girl in a community, then, finding ways to listen to other voices and to humbly learn um, before trying to speak into these, uh, these really complex, um, tough issues. And, and something I also heard is that we engage in the conversation. I think oftentimes we mistake, you know, engaging in the conversation that, you know, on Facebook or something as we're in the conversation, but as pastors, the reality is you're discipling people mm. and, you're discipling both bosses who have authority over more vulnerable workers. You're discipling vulnerable workers. You're discipling the unemployed. And, and so just keying in on these issues um, is huge for, for leaders to do um, and huge for the faith and work movement as a whole to start to press into uh, a lot more. I like that. I would say, uh, I think, wisdom just from being on the ground and having those relationships is, I mean, there's, there's nothing that can kind of replace that. So can you share some wisdom um, just from your proximity to, to these diverse communities that you're a part of, whether it's a story or whether it's um, a practice or a discipline that, um, that other leaders can, can employ. One of the things that, um, you mentioned earlier that I'll I'll just say as far as wisdom is I do think pastors, particularly in discipleship have to learn to look at the context of people, economic status, um, ethnicity and disciple that person. I I say it this way. Pastors are good at discipling people. They want to be like, but they're not mm. good at discipling people that they don't want their jobs and they don't want to That's be That's so good. Them, right. <laughs> and so when you look at a banker and you're like, dude, I would love his job. I'm going to disciple this guy <laughs> into something that he loves or looks at like a, maybe a leader. And he goes, I'm going to disciple this leader to become a better leader. They're not so good at, I would do like an example would be if you look at Paul pastoring the church in different areas, like in 
Timothy, when he pastors Timothy, he says, when you're pastoring, he's speaking in 1 Timothy 6, he says, if you're a laborer in the beginning of 1 Timothy 6 and you are working for somebody, do not do not see them as better than you. He says to them, see them as your brother. You're an equal with them. So work for them as you're working for God, but do not work as like a subordinate. Work as somebody who is, you see them as your equal. So he, he looks at somebody who's like a, uh, a worker and tries to lift them up. And then he spends the rest of 1 Timothy 6 saying, if you have a lot of money, you're in danger of losing your faith. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And you could walk away from, and he spends ranting with rich people on how they're more in danger of losing their faith. And I think sometimes as pastors, we try to pastor everybody the same rather yeah. than seeing some we need to lift up and others we need to tear down and others we need to like show them that they're in danger by how much comfort they have and how much wealth they have. They're in danger of walking away from the faith. And that's the hard part of pastoring is like you want to be like somebody and so you're like, I, I want to disciple somebody who's like a creative or a musician, or I want to disciple yeah. somebody. And the people that are on the ground and grunting and laboring and you don't want to do their job, we don't try to help them because we never would want to do what they're doing. And so it's, it's a, a, real, uh, a real opportunity for us, I think, in these times, particularly around discipling with faith and work, to pastor people where they at in the jobs that they're at and addressing the idols and issues in each one of those places, lifting up some and saying, don't, don't get fall into insecurity and then tearing down others who are falling into pride and, and, and going after idolatry. And I think pastoring, especially in a diverse place forces you to have to listen to all those kinds and pastor differently where most pastors who are just in like, Everybody's at the same tier of yeah. of jobs and everybody kind of is the same economic status. Then what you do is you just see them only being able to pastor at that level. And anybody who comes in and um, messes with it or requires a different kind of voice or discipleship, they're not able to shift gears. I think in this time, we're going to have to, particularly with people losing jobs who've been comfortable for a long time, do we just tell them now, well, I don't know how to disciple you at that place because we've only known how to disciple people with those kinds of jobs. Those, So I hope it forces pastors to kind of address and disciple people as they're moving and maybe having to go to jobs that aren't so fun now um, just to try to live. They're going to have to learn to disciple different ways. So hopefully just wisdom-wise, we have to adjust in our pastoring so that we can help people where they're at discipling them in their vocations rather than just telling them like the one pat answer for everybody. That's so good, man. So, so true. Um, yeah, man, I, I would just add a couple of things onto that. Um, through, I think we as pastors have to recognize that we have to pastor because people are being pastored by all sorts of things. Um, some of the most heated conversations I've gotten into during this season, season, especially when um, we decided to um, close, um, you know, our, 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 or stop our Sunday meetings in person. Um, I remember just folks coming in to the office, our office, and just really heated around that and just around a lot of the other things that are going on. 
And as you hear them talk, um, you quickly recognize that it is um, there. There are they are clearly being pastored by news sources, podcasts, uh, Facebook feeds, Facebook groups, and time and time again, you know, you hear the same sort of talking points. You're like, wow, man, like, um, you know, it, it's it's just uh, the reality of like COVID is that people have spent a lot more time on their phones. They spent a lot more time on social media and on, you know, um, uh, uh, absorbing news. And so a lot of the conversations I've had to, you know, in, in those conversations, I've had to pause and say like, how, how often have you recently been reading your Bible? How often have you been praying? And like quickly, you kind of get to the, um, below the the uh, the surface and you see, oh, it's like, well, I haven't really been engaged in my Bible. I haven't really been, been, been praying, um, but I've been watching this news network, you know, reading this, uh, listening to this podcaster. And yeah, it's just the reality that people are being discipled by things. And I think one thing I've uh, been, re- one thing that's been really helpful for me in this season is just helping people to realize that. Um, and then, you know, quick, you know, once we've come to that realization, they've been able to make the pivot of like, yeah, I have been, you know, being discipled by this new work or this um, pundit. And so that's been really helpful. And I think just in this season, um, you know, kind of alluding to what Aaron talked about earlier is listening to people, listening to people of all sorts of, uh, you know, bends, bents uh, politically, um, of all just diverse people. And I think a, a lot of um, in the in the midst of like COVID and having to work and you know working from home and trying to take care of kids that people aren't getting a chance to really be heard. So when you are able to um, you know just sit down, even if they you know again I'm thinking about some of the folks who came to me and were just yelling at us for one thing or another. Yeah. Um, when we just kind of sat down and listened to them um, and just asked good questions, um, you know, it quickly disarmed and it quickly like changed the whole trajectory of the conversation. So. Yeah, I would just say is just just re- like two things is just realizing that you're being discipled by something. If you're not being discipled um, by the Bible, by scripture, you're being discipled by something else. And um, a lot of people in this season, um, as angry as they may come off, a lot of that can be disarmed by just hearing them and listening to them. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, tense, tense conversations go a different direction just from taking a posture of a listener and encouraging them to do the same. That's really helpful, Warren. Just the relational aspect yeah. of discipleship, of just loving people. Because I think the reality is people are scared. People are confused. Um, they're, they're grasping onto something and to just be that presence uh, there with them. And then I think what you said was so helpful is we have to invest in ways of showing how the Bible speaks into these areas. Yeah. Because people are being discipled. And if we're not talking about how scripture speaks into these areas, if there isn't, if, if the story isn't big enough um, to, to fit into these, you know, into all of life, then, you know, we are left to, to be discipled by, yeah. uh, by something else. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really, uh, really good. And, um, and it, it made me think about just how Aaron, when you were talking just about how the faith and work conversation, and I think honestly, just white, you know, middle-class white culture in general is highly individualistic. And so we see, you know, we just look at people and we assume they're kind of like us. And then we just talk about, you know, their passion, their salary, their benefits, their retirement. And we're discipling people just into their own individualistic kind of like fulfill your mm you know, purpose, fulfill your dreams, but we're not seeing it as how work is deeply interconnected. 
Um, so I'd love to hear both in the communities, uh, Warren, you mentioned you're, you're from an immigrant community and um, the communities that you minister in. What have you learned about the, the interconnected reality of both, if you want to speak into either or, or and, um, yeah. both work and rest? How are these things so deeply connected? And, and when we miss that, what happens? How does, how does it break down? Yeah. Um, so my family is from Guyana, which is a small uh, country in South America. And the community I grew up in the Bronx was made up of, I'm probably exaggerating here, but like 95% immigrants. It felt like that at least. Um, and so I really, you know, that, that I grew up in immigrant culture. It's the only thing I knew until um, moving to Arizona um, six years ago. And so uh, one thing I was just experienced there, experienced, um, you know, living in that community was just how deeply dependent um, everyone was on each other. Um, you know, there, you know, I think everyone who, you know, moved from the Caribbean, they all moved with the same sense of like, oh, the American dream, we're going to make it, we're going to do it. But at the same time, they were always uh, very much so looking back to like lift up their brothers, lift up their sisters um, um, and give to those in the community. Like there will be folks who were just immigrating over um, from, you know, let's say Jamaica or something. And just the ways that like the community would come around those people and, you know, get them, help them get a job, help them get, um, you know, transportation, help them get clothes, like invite them over for, th- um, for holidays. And, you know, I just saw the way, um, yeah, just time and time again, it was, it was not even, it didn't even need to be said. It was just understood that like, in order for us to flourish, we can't do it alone. We need each other. And so that was, you know, I, 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 I think I took it for granted a lot of times. Um, and, you know, not to say there, there aren't great folks here in Arizona who, uh, you know, feel the same way. But, you know, as I, I recognize it more, I recognize it more so as a parent, um, because I remember just my parents, it was so easy for them to just drop us off at a friend's house and the friend would feed us and treat us like their own. And, um, you know, the, for, you know, maybe, maybe it's a time thing, but I don't feel the same sort of, you know, uh, to, maybe sense that that is like, okay, here people are like, why are you dropping off your kids here? man? we don't, we don't want to try and take care of your kids, take care of your own kids. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, it just was um, expected that um, each one would look out for each other. Um, and um, that, you know, that, that really caught, like our community was able to flourish that way. People were able to start businesses. Um, people were able to, um, you know, just again, like dropping their kids off somewhere that allows you to experience a moment of rest and um, rejuvenation as a, you know, maybe as a couple, as parents. Um, and just, yeah. Um, I, I would also say though, that in some ways um, I probably saw work distorted uh, where it was, um, you know, they, they really took that verse where Paul says, you know, those who don't provide are worse than unbeliever. They took that really literally. So, um, you know, I, I, I probably picked up some unhealthy, um, work rhythms um, and just, you know, the, the, I guess the, the motivation was, Hey, you know, in order to make something of yourself here, you know, work 99 hours a week. And I did, I kind of did something like that before. Um, but um, yeah. And it, it, so in some ways that that's probably, that's obviously distorted, but um, in a lot of other ways, I saw a community that came around um, each other and recognized that, you know, they couldn't do it alone. That's good. Yeah, I, I think learning from those communities for us to the point that I made first, I I really do believe we have much to learn from people that maybe we don't think we have much to learn from. 
Mm. Um, particularly around poor and marginalized communities. I've loved how Jesus would take like uh, the the poor, the vulnerable, and turn them into the teacher, you know, and turn them into the ones that we should be looking at. Um, one of the things that it doesn't mean like to Warren's point that they these people have inherently got it perfect. It doesn't mean that they're not loving money or pursuing it. It's almost like God has used in many ways for those who have come to know God, their circumstances or their jobs to teach them what's really important. Not that if they wouldn't have had like a bunch of wealth, they wouldn't have fallen into the same traps, but it's like God has used their suffering to bring about perseverance, endurance, teaching. It's, it's become like a lab of learning for them. And I really do believe like right now, Um, many people are going to have to learn, like be forced to learn and they could go find good teachers who have already gone through it, but be forced to learn like first Timothy six. I've really been meditating on, on that, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Right. So, and then it says for, for we're brought into the world with nothing and we can take nothing with us, but if we have food and clothing, and we can be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And so the temptation is this desire, this love. Money is not the temptation. It's the love for it. It's right. It's this desire that drives every decision and every motive. It's interesting that we can't serve two masters and the one is not God and Satan. It's God and money, money. you know, and there's this deep drive within us and it can be in every context for that drive for money. But there are many who have an advantage when they can't grab it and get a hold of it. It's almost like they're taught contentment. Um, And when I hear the word faith, work and rest, that idea of rest, I think in scripture is not just taking a day off. Right. It is a a place in which we work from, not work for. So we don't work for rest, we work from rest. From. And and when we understand contentment, that's the 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 driving force that even motivates how we work. God worked and and rest worked and rested and there's this reality of he's enjoying what he created, right? There's something about enjoying or resting in the things that you have done. That is um, a pattern, which I hope we can, that we can get into, you know, as a people, not just having a good theology of, of work, which is a good thing, but also having contentment in that so that we're not constantly thinking if I'm not doing that, I can't enjoy anything else that our identity is not there. So I think some people in this season who've lost jobs, which we've had significant amount of people who have and people who've had to take downgrades in their pay and take other jobs that they're having to are almost having to be forced to remember where their identity is at, where contentment comes from, where true rest and enjoyment comes from. And have to put into practice while some of people in our community are having to learn new patterns of rest because they're forced into like overtime and overwork. They're having to learn to go set boundaries, not fall into a pattern of like getting into a grind and a hustle and just making a ton of money. So it's like almost flopping some of these uh, of these 
places where now people are like, I could work a hundred hours if I wanted to. And now they're having to learn family rhythms, you know, things, things that they just haven't had to have before. So just teaching that godliness with contentment for us has just been huge right now. I was talking to a good friend recently and he was reflecting on the fact that in the tradition he came from, there was this emphasis on, on doing big things for God. And and what that meant in that tradition was being a missionary or a pastor, et cetera. And he was, he was saying that he feels like with this new faith and work movement, it's almost just a new baptized version of the same thing that it's about doing big things for God. It's about, but as an entrepreneur or an artist or, you know, whatever it might be. And it really is about impact and how much influence or impact or, or money. And, and it is this upward mobility, whatever that means for you. Um, so that's just a great reminder, Aaron, of the goal isn't, impact or uh, upward mobility, but it's being content and being faithful. Yeah. What has God given you and how are you faithfully stewarding that to love your neighbor? Um, yeah, Amen. that's huge. Amen. I, I just want to close with one last thing. Um, if there's, what's one thing that you would love um, pastors, leaders, and just, and, and people um, in the church to know about what the marginalized in your communities are really facing right now? Yeah. Um, I would say just at a real basic level, we're tired. (laughs) Um, you know, when you, you know, in the midst of COVID, um, the midst of race, racial tensions in the midst of, you know, the fact that, um, COVID has like specifically hit, um, communities of color harder. So there's probably someone that that person in your community, they probably know someone um, who has been affected or passed away um, from COVID. For instance, my aunt, uh, my dad's sister passed away from COVID. Um, and, you know, uh, I know that there is a time for uh, maybe asking, um, and there's a good thing about like asking a lot of questions or like, especially around a lot of the issues around race and stuff like that. There's a time to like ask, but maybe recognize if you're that friend in your community, that person in your community is just like, doesn't, and maybe at this time we even want to engage in some of those discussions because they are tired um, for, you know, some of the reasons I listed again, like COVID's impact, the fact that, you know, a lot of times as we talked about when it comes to the type of jobs that, you know, they're working, um, they're probably working triple time um, to, to, to make ends meet during the season. And with everything else going on, it's just, yeah, it's, it, I think it's um, and with that, like a way to respond is encourage, lift up. Um, yeah, find find ways that um, maybe that that encourages and loves them and comes around them in this season, not in a, um, a way maybe that's uh, maybe piercing for like the answers you want to hear or the, <laughs> the perspective maybe that uh, you think they'll be able to give. Just recognizing that like it is a very exhausting time period right now. Yeah, I won't add to that. I just say that that's the answer. And I would just say as a response to that, um, right now to put the burden of education for them to teach you, everything is not the right timing for that. If you didn't, you know, if you're just entering the conversation right now, come in caring, just care. Like care goes a lot of a long way. Just care. 
there's so much resources if you really want to learn about it instead of trying to convince one of your friends. The other side is just notice your tendency to justify yourself. There's so much self-justification and covering ourselves and like, well, I'm not this way. And people like, are we, we just need to have a good conversation so we can convince them all this stuff is not like, don't like we as gospel believing people are justified by grace, not yes. our works, yes. not, by, not because yes. we are something or not something. It's now time to like rest in the gospel that we're justified by grace and where we've missed it or where our systems have missed it or where things have been and they're being exposed instead of trying to cover them with anything else. We just have to continue to preach grace. So if we care and understand the power of grace, it's going to go a long ways. But right now is definitely, if you've never been in the conversation before, not the time to come in just trying to get educated by somebody else or justify yourself. I would even say wait, care, be present, listen, learn. And then after like this season goes, because it's going to, it's going to, there's going to be a changing of season, then enter the conversation when the height, when, when it's not at its height. So you can start learning um, in some of those places and and have longevity. So the benefit of being in it for a while will help you when you hit seasons like this. But the tendency is like the things you're trying to do to help might be hurting people more than than you realize. So get connected with people who are already in it and say, how can I help you do what you're doing? Because that's that's just the best the best way to approach it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, for your vulnerability. That's just entering in to a period of um, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring humility um, yes. and to bring new eyes to see before trying to kind of jump the gun and, and uh, yeah, make, make our voices heard. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation, yeah. Aaron Warren. Um, I could talk, talk to you guys all day, but uh, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom and, and just sharing your hearts. Thanks, Tina. Thanks, Tina.